Hello and welcome to MapBytes, episode 129. I'm Mike Thomas and I'm here with my co-host Elaine Giles. And in this episode, it's money, money, money. And to start with, we heard from Graham. We'll start with a, a comment from Graham. He said, good MacBytes this week. I use White Noise Pro. It has the mixing facility too. I have a light thunderstorm and rain with a distant train, American two-tone style mixed in. You know that long mournful woo sound. I think that's how it goes anyway. I also have a nice subtle mantle clock which sounds like it's on the mantelpiece rather than sounding like you've got your head stuck inside the damn thing, which is how most clocks seem to sound. Hopefully, catch you all next week at MacBytes After Hours. You know, I'm not at all sure about the train. Given that this week, we don't need sound effects outside MacBytes headquarters, do we? We have a neighbour with a jackhammer. Mm. We have several neighbours with jackhammers, actually. They might not be here next week, but don't come looking for me. Just saying. Uh, we got a catch up as well. Reading up on the details of the hand washing thing. To say it's detailed in the extreme is an understatement. You know the, the watch OS hand washing thing? I know it. They are tracking how many times a day you wash your hands, how long each hand washes, and creating a history for each day, week, month and year. Shakes head sadly. Mm. Surely you'd do a better job if you, this is sacrilege I know, took your watch off while washing your hands. I actually do that because I wash up to my elbows with a nail brush, like a surgeon. I can see it might be useful for gamification with kids, but for grown adults, it feels, oh, more than a little pretentious. Luckily for you, it's series four and higher only. So, um, you want to play along? You're going to need to take my watch with you. There are no words. You know, we've coped up to now singing happy birthday or counting to 20. And that, that that's what I do. This is just bandwagon jumping. Would they have actually done this without COVID? Well, obviously not, <laughs> because apparently nobody knew how to wash their hands before. This is true. Kindergarten Apple style. But mm. next, up, next up from Apple, we've developed an app to count how many pieces of toilet paper you used. Like I said on the last show, my Apple Watch is becoming less and less useful to me. It's clearly not just hand washing. It's M&S hand washing. For our non-UK listeners, that means the ultimate in luxury. Talking of luxury, is it luxury to have your food delivered? I'd have thought it was a necessity right now. Um, Amazon are lauding the fact they are providing free food delivery. I thought they'd already done that. As soon as lockdown came in, they lowered the limit for free delivery from £40 to 15 I'd deem that free, to be honest, because a packet of toilet rolls is £9.50 and you're probably going to need something to eat. So you're not really likely to order less than £15 worth. And the more online shopping with home delivery slots available, the better as far as I'm concerned, not leaving the house in the, for, in the foreseeable future. But reading the article through, this free delivery of which they speak, there's still a £40 limit for the free delivery. It, and it's only available down south, obviously up north. I don't 
don't think people in the South have a clue what goes on up north, but it's only available down south. So pretty much another case of move along, nothing to see. But major kudos to the marketing guru who managed to get the BBC to post their press release of what's been happening for years as news. Do you think anybody at the BBC bothered to actually read it before they posted it? I wonder if the person in question, said marketing guru, was Dominic Cummings. Just wondering. Mm. Mm -hmm. And talking of shopping, now for something especially for you from Apple. This is going to be expensive. What he said. Yes. It's a new version of the iOS Apple Store app. Can you sense my unbridled joy? I actually checked this out and a few observations. My preferred Apple Store location, it suggests the Trafford Centre. Well, that's not happening, is it? You know how much we love Team Trafford here at MacBytes headquarters? You might like Apple Music. Apple trying to sell me a service. Recommended for you. Belkin Boost Charge Portable Wireless Battery and Stand Special Edition, £70. I know you can usually sell me anything with Special Edition on it, but that's usually only chocolate bars. But no thanks, Apple. What I did like is that it lists all my devices with their names. Tapping on Device Details gives you basic information about the device and stuff like when the Apple Care expires and what the trade-in value is. Did you know that I can get £30 for my 21.5-inch iMac? Oh, for crying out loud, Apple, it's worth more than that as a doorstop. Talk about highway robbery. Oh, if they'd lived in the same era, I bet you'd never have seen Timmy and Dick Turpin in the same room together. That's criminal. Don't get me going. Do you know what Apple do care about, though? Money, money, money. Apple TV. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, yes. An Apple TV subscription. I must admit, I did take the free year, eventually. So I left it really late, um, early this year, I think, about February. I didn't realise, I knew it had come free. You know, you got a year free if you regist registered for it with your phone. But I thought you could just have that whenever you wanted. But I got a notification to say, like, you know, time's running out. So I did take the free year, had it since February. And we've been in lockdown, so I've not gone anywhere. And still not watched a thing. Not, not, not even one. But the issue is Apple have, are leading the way with Emmy nominations. The morning show, I'm not sure if it's the morning show that's got all 19 nominations or if, or if they're spreading the love across the others. But there's 19 Emmy nominations anyway. Yes. Is this going to tempt me to watch it? Mm, no, not anytime soon. But there you go. I didn't take the free year because I don't have time to watch normal TV, apart from footy, and I don't count that. For me, news and sport isn't real TV, as it's just the medium that's used to broadcast it. Although, did you mention Jennifer Aniston? Stuart, get your book out. Hate to break it to you, babe. You didn't get a free year. <laughs> Apple's ridiculous ordering process rides again. From memory, I think you were at work. Now, if you weren't at work because it was a Friday, you were actually working here and I, you, were, you were not available. It wasn't just Mike could have a tea break. I think you were actually training at the point that I had to put the order in. So I had to attempt to secure two new iPhone 11s. 
And the free trial turned out to be per order, not per new device. Like Apple couldn't afford it, per new device. Um, you might have to explain Stuart's book, too, which is fast becoming a doom to rival War and Peace. Oh, yes, Stuart's book. It appears that virtually every story that I tell on Marooned or Brooklyn's by request involves ladies. So much so that Stuart, one of our friends who's a regular listener, is keeping a record. Writing a book, or more accurately, a series of books about it, and threatening to sell the rights to Netflix. Mike and his many women. Loving it. A Macbite spin-off, maybe? Now... We use Spotify a lot, and Spotify reported this week that they've now got 138 million subscribers. Yet, still no sign of the long-promised Nuke the Smiths option. How difficult can that be? Because they manage all of the sales stuff, all of the promotional stuff, and myriad other annoying interruptions. So, what you're saying is, heaven knows you're miserable now. See what I did there? Very witty. Another pitfall to avoid. It's like the Wild West out there in computer land at the moment. Don't update to 10.15.6 if you rely on VMware Fusion to run Windows. Just a minute. 10.15.6 Catalina? Like anyone who's running that anyway? Certainly not here. Nobody here, that's for sure. But... I would if I bought a Mac and it shipped with it. Other than that, no. I've only just done the Mojave thing anyway. So it could be a while is the news from MapBytes headquarters, but your mileage may vary. So if you've done the deed and are wondering why your Mac is crashing now, now you know. I'm seriously thinking of using an abacus. One, it would cause less grief. And two, the way things are going, it would make me more productive. Hmm. Now... Apple have created something new. Badges for their store staff with memojis on them. They've got makeup on as well. Don't we all look virtually the same in a mask? Not long ago, they wouldn't let you in a shop with a baseball cap on, much less a face mask. Do you remember when Dad went round to the newsagents? Now, he didn't go out much in his last year, so it was probably about 2012. It was the same shop that he'd used every single day for his newspaper. And he was a smoker, so his cigarettes as well, since we moved in. And that was 1979. But there were new rules brought in. They weren't governmental rules. It was just kind of local shops. And the new rules were after kids had been messing about. So the primary rule was no hats. Now, My dad, by this stage, was 78 years of age, and the biggest danger he was, was to himself. They refused to even let him in with his baseball cap on. And he was old school and sensitive. And he came back home and said he felt like a criminal. But now he'd probably not be let in unless he was swathed from head to foot in snorkelling gear. Anyway, link in the show notes to where you can create your own Memoji tag using an iOS shortcut. Can I file this under cute but completely useless? That's about how I describe it as well. Quite right. Now, Cuddly Phil. Cuddly Phil got a promotion. I've never heard of being an Apple fellow before. But we won't let that spoil Phil's party. We're both fellows, aren't we? We are. Yeah, no joke. No joke. We are both fellows of the Learning and Performance Institute, which was originally for trainers, wasn't it? But now it's extended. 
So welcome to the fellow club, Phil. Also, Greg, Joss to his friends. Is that Joss or Joss? Mm, Joss. Joss, you reckon? J O Z. Mm. Joss Weak. Are we thinking Joss Weak? Yeah, mm. Joss Weak. Well, he's taking on the role of senior vice president of worldwide marketing, which I think was where Phil was originally. Not big enough yet to warrant his own press release. I note he had to share Phil's. Congratulations, Phil. And Jaws. Oh, and Jaws, yes. Mustn't miss Jaws out. If they roll him out at the next event, I'm not going to have a clue who he is. I couldn't tell you what the guy looked like. He's Jaws. I'll investigate these things more. Naughty me. But Cuddly Phil, we'll miss Cuddly Phil. Talking of Apple. Hmm. The interrogation. You know that we were all waiting for? The Congress interrogation end of July. Timmy Zuckerberg, uh, Jeff Bezos. Is it Bezo? Be- Beo? Be- uh, never can pronounce that. Uh, and some Goo- Google geezer whose name escapes me. But when he came up on the screen, you said, who's he? <laughs> <laughs> so that one. <laughs> I did. I sat and I watched it live on the BBC channel. And we got to, uh, that's BBC News channel. We actually got to share some of it live in a marooned. And uh, we were all watching and basically all hot air and bluster. I've got more probing questions in my mind after pondering for 10 seconds than Congress managed to muster in the entire hearing. They should give me five minutes in a room with Timmy. Timmy, I don't rate your chances in a bare-knuckle encounter like that. So, yet again, pretty much, move along, nothing to see. But I did put copious notes. Links in the show notes, didn't I? You did. Now, I'd long gone to bed before this started, the earnings call. Did you play along? Oh, I did. I figured I could do with some comic relief and wasn't disappointed either. With what sounded like a straight face, Timmy proudly proclaimed, WWDC contained 72 hours of content. You know, because it was virtual. Mm, Impressive, said Timmy. Well, take a look at our stats, Timmy boy. Yeah. Since lockdown, 16th of March, and up to and including yesterday, we had done 21 after hours, that's 82 hours. We'd done four MacBytes, that's five and a half hours. We'd done 147 Maroons, that's 187 hours. We'd done four hours coverage of the WWDC, and that comes to 173 shows and 279 hours, almost four times as much as Apple. And we can add to that presenting 102 hours of live music shows and 28 hours of pre-recorded music shows on Brooklyn's All 96. So, oodles of money for Apple, but we beat you with content, Timmy, by a considerable amount. But the money... Not surprising given what they charge, which leads us nicely on to the next story. Yes, a new toy from Apple. Ooh, the lesser spotted mid-2020 iMac. No, not the new iMac. Oh, yes, the other one. By comparison, this other new toy is priced at 10% of what I paid for my first iMac. What is it? A cable. You're doing the maths, aren't you? Let me save you the job. Said cable is... Make sure you're sitting down. The cable is priced... $129. Yes, you heard me right. 
$129. So with the Apple exchange rate of $1 is £1, plus 20% VAT, that'll doubtless be... Oh, let me calculate. Let me save you the bother. It'll be a kidney and half your liver. Yep, that's near enough. I'm not going to do the usual comparison with cables from Poundland and their ilk, because obviously, you know, not the same quality. But £129 for a cable. Belkin have got a comparable cable at half the price and it's sold in the Apple store. Now it's your iMac. Oh, at last. The lesser spotted mid-2020 iMac arrives. No, not the overhyped industrial redesign promised by all, and I do mean all, of the rumour mills in the lead up to WWDC. It's the same design and the same price, thankfully. And the last Intel iMac before Apple Silicon hits in 2021 or maybe 2022. Apple, of course, claim this is a, and I quote, major update. But then they would, wouldn't they? They've got to shift them somehow. Most idiotic feature that I've seen. Obviously, I've specced it all up. Nano texture glass. An option at a mere £500. Now, given that nanotexture glass can only be cleaned with a special Apple cleaning cloth, given the price of the cable, I dread to think how much the cleaning cloths are retailing for. Biggest question, are we buying? We're pondering. We are? She's clearly not well. I'm waiting for a reason. At the moment, uh, both Mike and I are running 2017 models, mid-2017. They are twins. Do you remember election night and the horrors of the hung parliament adversely impacting prices? Yeah, so they were three years old. Is it three years since the election? I'm sure we've had five since then. But uh, it's, they were three years old in June and are now out of Apple Care. Two of our complement of iMacs are currently running on external hard drives because the internal drives long since expired. So that's making it all look like an instant yes. But then there's the Apple Silicon incoming at a point Timmy finds to be the most inconvenient and most expensive for us all. Then there's whether Apple Silicon will run Windows virtualized. And even if it does in the end, how painful will the transition be? Excellent point. Then there's the RAM. Our current iMacs both have 64 gig. The new model claims to support or not actually claims to support, hang on a minute, the new model, Apple states, supports 128 gig, which is great, you know, double what we've got now. But the previous model, not the one we have, because that's three years old, but the last Apple iMac before this brand new one, would unofficially support 128 gig, although Apple claimed only 64. So unofficially, it did actually support what is now the maximum. So I'm wondering if the new model might unofficially support 256. That would make my day. Um, if Moore's Law had held good, I'd already have 512 gig in the iMac that I've already got. Moore's Law. Named after Gordon Moore, the co-founder of Intel, and it's the ability to pack twice as many transistors on the same sliver of silicon every two years. By that calculation... Oh, I'd have oodles of RAM. It was predicted to come to an end uh, by the end of 2022. In terms of, they'd reach a point where they couldn't double it every two years. But 
dead at Apple since the early 2010s because I had one gig, my next Mac had two, my next one had four and so forth. And I've been stuck. I've obviously, I've had 64 for three years, but before that I had 32 since 2011, I think. So it, it certainly wasn't doubling for me every two years. I'm waiting on the fabulous Mr. Memory suppliers to do their testing and determine the practical maximum, not the official Apple maximum. Fingers crossed it's more than Apple say it is. Wouldn't matter so much if new versions of apps didn't demand increasing amounts of system resources with every iteration. Uh, I'm reckoning we're at the point we'll probably buy one of these new iMacs. Intending to replace it with Apple Silicon within the next 18 months to two years. Then the Mac that we would have just bought, I would pass on to you, which is not as bad as it sounds. No, you know, I've only ever had one brand new iMac, my current one. My 21-inch was from the refurb store and the other one was a hand-me-down from you. But in this instance, I'll gladly take it because it guarantees that I can run Windows on it through Parallels. Like you said, who knows if the silicon one will run Parallels? Then the surface might come into its own. However, I can't not mention the options for this iMac and ask what planet Apple live on. I'm positive it isn't the same one as the rest of us. It ships with 8 gig of RAM. Is that the default? I think so, yeah. I think it is because underneath you've got the price options for 16 gig, 32, 64 and 128. You, If you want to double it from 8 to 16, you're looking at £200, which is bad, but it gets worse. Uh, if you want 32 gig, you need to add £600. You want 64 gig, you need to add £1,000. Just to give that 64 gig some context. Three years ago, we bought 64 gig of RAM and everything's way more expensive at the point that it's new. And this RAM was new and shiny and it cost us £500 for 64 gig. To put 64 gig in this one, three years on, a thousand pounds. But wait for it. If you want 128 gig, which is what I would as a minimum put in it, Apple wants you to pay an, an additional £2,600. That's actually about £1,000, maybe about £800, somewhere between £800 and £1,000 more than a base model Mac. So you are paying more for the memory than the actual computer. That amount of RAM, 128 gig, is £500 from Mr. Memory. So Apple are charging you over five times what that RAM is costing from another supplier who have already added their profit onto it and it comes with free shipping. That's obscene. But if you think that's bad. Uh, the SSD, the default, because all of those... Um, Fusion drives have gone, thankfully. Actually, every Fusion drive I've ever had has gone in terms of it's now dead. But it is shipping with a default of 512. If you want a terabyte, that's another 200. A one terabyte SSD from Amazon is £70. Two terabytes is £600 more. I have checked the price of a two terabyte SSD, £130 from Amazon. 
For terabyte SSD, you will need to add 1,200. And if you want the maximum 8 terabyte SSD, that will set you back another 2,400. Now, I set about finding out what is the price of an 8 terabyte SSD, because they're pretty rare. That's not a common storage amount at the moment. I would say one and two terabytes are fairly standard, but not eight. I did find an eight terabyte SSD from Scan, which is very close to us up in Bolton, isn't it? That was the only place I could find one. And it was £1,600. So Apple are still charging you an additional £800 over and above what you can buy it for. But you need to put your SSD in at the point of purchase because without dismantling it down to the bare bones, you wouldn't be able to do it later. Yeah, not on the same planet as me, are they, Mike? No. Back to money, money, money. Yes. Anyway, the most stunning story of the week involved you ranting. Most do, to be honest. This one definitely did. I've used an app called Downy for years from Charlie Munro Software. I have had a couple of support issues over the years, not particularly the app, more to do with um, activation because it's handled by Paddle. But the support has always been great. I've never had an issue. The app hadn't been updated. Now, that's important. The app had not been updated. I had not touched it. It was working um, the day before. Now, I'm working nights at the moment. So when I say the day before, you know, 11.30 at night, it was fine. By two o'clock the following morning, it had broken. So three hours later, it wasn't working and I hadn't updated anything. So I had a look at it. Hmm. Wasn't too panicked. I'd got a backup. That didn't work. And I thought, how can I restore it to the one that was there that was working yesterday and now it's not working? But the error message said that the application was damaged. So I thought, fair enough, go and download another copy and install that. Goes off to try and download it, and the download page is giving me a 404. So I thought, mm, time to walk away before the blood pressure hits danger levels. Fast forward 12 hours. I was chatting on Marooned, mentioning that, you know, I'd got this app that wasn't working anymore. And Paul reported that he'd had an email from Setup. And the email was saying that the applications from Charlie Monroe, which are in setup, weren't working at the moment because the developer was having issues. And having issues makes you think like he broke his leg or something in the garden. But I thought it was still very odd that issues could kill an app already installed that was working perfectly hours before. I pondered. But again, blood pressure. I left it alone. Another 24 hours later and another mail from Setup sent on to me from Paul. Thank you for keeping me in the loop, Paul. All would be back up and running shortly, which was again all very strange. Then the behind the scenes nightmare that the developer had gone through became public. And I need to emphasise here before I reiterate the rest of the story that I had bought this app direct from the developer. This application, Downy, is not even in the Mac App Store. There's only two ways to get it, either via setup or a direct purchase. The issue turned out to be, so the issue, having issues, developer having issues, the issue was Apple had erroneously terminated his developer distribution certificate. And apparently I got off lightly with the message that I'd seen because others were seeing a message that said, this app will damage your computer, uninstall it now. What? 
This was absolutely nothing to do with anything that Charlie, the developer, had done. It actually happened while he was asleep. So the, the revocation of a developer distribution certificate results in this unholy mess, does it? The fact that Apple can stop a legitimate app dead in its tracks should concern both developers and app users. Because the only part of this transaction that Apple was involved in was the provision of the DDC, the Developer Distribution Certificate. You know, my contract was direct with Charlie. I bought it from him. I'm his customer. I'm not Apple's customer in this instance. But because they nuked his DDC, my app stopped working. Mm. That should never ever result in me not being able to use something that I've purchased without me agreeing to it. Now, I'll, I'll admit, it's probably somewhere in two-point font at the end of the 4,000-page legal agreement. You know, the one you've got to scroll through and tick when you install macOS, the one that nobody reads. But still, this should never, ever happen. Apple have inserted themselves between the dev, me, and a working app that had nothing whatsoever to do with them. Um, the dev filled everybody in via a blog post. And initially, this, this is beyond belief, there was no apology from Apple to him. That's absolutely appalling. Now, there was a later update. So a good few hours later, the dev updated the blog post and said, and I quote, Apple has called and apologised for the complications. The issue was caused by my account being erroneously flagged by an automated process as malicious and was put on hold. Complications. Complications. Apple's complete automated ineptitude, you mean. Uh, this is the kind of power that Congress should have been investigating. Apple's error put a total block on a developer's ability to run his own business. On apps that are not even sold in Apple's App Store. That's when excessive power and control is a problem. Not the stupid issues that Congress were pussyfooting around. Timmy is the first to be out there trumpeting his latest badge-wearing, flag-waving, look-at-me cause. You'll notice not a single word from Apple on this one. Do you know, I predict a scary future because Apple's power is just growing unchecked. They are inserting themselves between a developer and their own customers outside the Mac App Store. I think Charlie should compile a set of his apps without Apple's distribution certificate and give his customers the choice of which one to use. But I'm reckoning Apple have probably got rules on that. Shame they're not as quick with their apologies and admit that they're in the wrong when they clearly are, hey? And don't get me started on using an automated process for nuking the business of one of their developers. That, what, are there any words, Mike? Are there any words? There are no words at all. None that we could potentially broadcast in this? No, no. not at all. No. That's, do you remember when they very first brought in that thing where you go into your system preferences and you had to put a tick in a box or something to say allow installs from developers without, without a distribution yeah. certificate, basically? And we all were like, oh, this is going to cause a problem. What's going to happen down the line? Apple will be controlling our machines. And they've done it so slowly and slow, so gradually, they're boiling the frog. We're not noticing just how much power they are accruing in regard to this. And the future does not look that bright. I'm going to have to wear shades. It looks that dark. I might need a torch. 
but I'll calm down while you carry on and talk about parallels. This is more of a serene piece, I think. This is about configuring parallels, and I'll come on, on to that in a minute. But before I do, a little story, which is kind of related. The other day, I was delivering some Mac training at work. It's something that I started doing a few months ago. Over the past 12 months, more and more people at work have started using Macs to the point where we've now got several thousand users. And I don't actually know why. May, most of them could actually get away without with, with using Windows. Maybe 10 years ago, Macs were seen as cool and people wanted one at work. I was certainly in that camp, but I quickly realised that I wouldn't be able to do my job with just a Mac because the training that I deliver and the people that I support are Windows users. Anyway, somebody on this course said that compared to PowerPoint for Windows, she found PowerPoint for Mac almost unusable for creating presentations. I didn't have time to ask her what her specific problems were, and I emailed her, but she's not replied yet. When she asked me if I had any advice, I said, get a Windows laptop. Now, unfortunately at work, Parallels isn't an option. And no, I wasn't being flippant. If the, you know, if the Mac versions of the software are preventing you doing your job, then maybe it's not, not the right platform for you, no matter how much you like the hardware. You know, same if you're a data analyst who needs to use Microsoft's Power Tools, Power Query, Power Pivot and Power BI. They don't exist on the Mac platform. I'm lucky. I don't have such restrictions here. I have the best of both worlds. I have Mac hardware and I have Office for Windows. And that is all thanks to Parallels. Now, you've probably heard of Parallels, but you may not be familiar with the way it works. It's an application for Mac OS that allows you to run other operating systems inside it. Each operating system runs in its own separate virtual machine, and you can have as many virtual machines as you like. To create a virtual machine, you run Parallels, you select File New and choose the guest operating system, for example, Windows 10. You can also create virtual machines that run other Mac OSs, and that's a good way to test them out without breaking your production machine. Once the operating system is installed, you have a virtual machine and you then install any other apps that you want to use as if it were a real Windows or Mac or Linux machine. It just happens to be running inside Parallels on your Mac. So when you see me demoing Excel for Windows in After Hours, I'm using my Mac, but running Windows 10 inside the Parallels app. I've actually got three virtual machines. I've got Windows 98. Don't ask. It was being used for one specific job once a year. I've got a Mojave virtual machine. I did a demo ages ago on how to set up Mojave in a virtual machine. And I've got Windows 10, and that's the one that I use on a daily basis. And each virtual machine has its own configuration. In other words, I might assign 32 gig to the Windows 10 virtual machine, but only 8 gig to the Windows 98 one. You can also have more than one virtual machine running at the same time. But if you do that, it will slow your system down. Now, you could just stick parallels on your Mac, create a virtual machine and get on with it. But as with many things, if you want to get the most out of it, you need to spend a little time configuring it. 
There's a lot of settings that you can change. I'm not going to go through them all. I'm going to focus on the most useful ones. So let's start with the hard drive. When I run my Windows 10 VM and I look at the properties of the C drive, the capacity is 70 gigabytes. And from the Mac side, when you create a virtual machine, you end up with what looks like a single file with a PVM extension, which stands for Parallels Virtual Machine. It's actually a package file. So you right click on this file in Finder and you choose Show Package Contents. And inside that package, there's a number of files. The most important and probably biggest of these is the HDD file, and that is the virtual machine's hard drive. So think of that as the virtual machine itself. The other files are supporting files. Now, my Windows 10 HDD is 37 gig, so there's obviously some compression going on there because it's 50% of the size of the actual Windows C drive. The size of the PVM file will increase and decrease by a few gig due to various factors. For example, the virtual machine might be using disk storage as memory or additional temporary files are being created. And if you shut the VM down, it usually shrinks in size. Now, where you store your VMs is up to you. I store mine, my Windows 10 one on the Mac's internal hard drive because it's the one that I use. The other two are on an external hard drive. And although I could run them from there, I would copy them to the internal hard drive first because it's faster to run from there. Now, let's say I wanted to increase the capacity of the C drive of my Windows VM from 70 gig to 100 gig. I can't do that from inside Windows using the Windows Disk Management tool. Windows won't let me make it larger than 70 gig. I have to do it using the control, the, the config panel um, in Parallels, and I have to make sure that the VM isn't running at the time. And what that will do is it will increase the size of the PVM. So let's say at some point in the future, I want to save space on my Mac's hard drive and I decide I don't need a 100 gig C drive on my Windows VM. I can go back to the config panel and I can reduce the size of the virtual hard drive. And that changes the size of the C drive in Windows and reduces the size of the PVM file. So that's configuring the hard drive. Now let's look at RAM configuration. As with any computer, the more RAM, the better. I currently use a 27-inch iMac with 64 gig of RAM, so it made sense to me to configure Parallels with half of that. And this is also in line with several articles that I read whilst researching best practice. A Windows VM with 32 gig of RAM runs extremely well on my Mac. Startups quick, from double-clicking the VM in Finder to being ready to use, is about 25 seconds. And I can run several apps at the same time, including memory hungry ones like Power BI, and I don't see any performance issues. Of course, that 32 gig is only used by Parallels when it's running. And whereas some people treat a VM as an app and only run it when they need it, I have my VM running pretty much all the time. So in reality, I have an iMac with 32 gig of RAM. However, I don't find any performance issues with the Mac either. 
I guess running Windows 24-7 is probably the reason why my surface has been terribly underused as well. Why get the surface out, clear a space on the desk and boot it up when I have a Windows VM with twice as much RAM and a bigger screen? And if I compare this to my previous experience, before the 27-inch iMac, I had a 21.5-inch iMac with 16 gig of RAM and I configured Parallels to use 8 gig of that. Now, that wasn't a great experience using the virtual machine. It was slow to boot, it was slow to run. And because I was using my Mac to deliver training, it was important that it booted up quickly. I was training mainly on Office for Windows, and once or twice I had to reboot the virtual machine, which took me about five minutes. And luckily, because I was running Zoom or WebEx or whatever on the Mac, I didn't lose connectivity to the webinar and I was able to fill in the time verbally answering questions. Moving on to processors, a knowledge base article on the Parallels website states, make sure that the total number of processors selected is not maximum. In most cases, half the total CPUs will provide optimal performance and assigning more than half the CPUs for a virtual machine may cause performance degradation for both Mac and VM. So based on that, I clicked the drop down. The maximum value in the list was eight. So I set it to four. Now, I'm not one of those people who spends time doing benchmark tests. To me, life's too short for that. But four works fine for me. The hard drive, the RAM and the processor configurations are the main things to know about, but there are some other useful options. You can share the clipboard and you can sync the time from the Mac. And I make sure that both of these are enabled. I'm constantly copying and pasting between Mac and Windows. And although it's labeled share Mac clipboard, it's actually a two way thing. So when it's ticked, if you copy something in Windows, you can paste it into an app on the Mac. And if you copy something on the Mac, you can paste it into an app on Windows. The sync time from Mac option means that the Windows system time will be based on the Mac system time. Folder sharing allows you to share folders between Mac OS and Windows. And it means you can easily open Mac files from Windows applications and vice versa. So if you choose to share your entire Mac HD, uh, that's one option, or you can choose specific folders. I shared my Mac's downloads folder, and that just displays in File Explorer in the sidebar with a drive letter assigned to it. I ticked share cloud folders with Windows and File Explorer assigns a drive letter to Dropbox and iCloud and displays them in the sidebar. I ticked access Windows folders from the Mac and that resulted in the network section of Finder displaying the folders of the Windows C drive. 90% of the time I work with Windows maximized on one screen, usually my iMac screen. My external monitor is then available for other things. So, for example, I might be watching a video about Power BI and I can watch that on my external monitor using the Mac app. And then I can try it out on Windows or when I'm delivering a demo or training, I put my notes on the external monitor um, and then I have Excel running in Windows on, on the other. But if I'm in VBA mode in Windows, I often need to use both screens. 
put the spreadsheet on one screen, the VBA editor on the other. And Parallels has this really useful option, use all displays in full screen. You first of all have to enable the option on the view menu, and then you enable full screen mode. And now it's just like using Windows with an extended desktop. You can also configure the keyboard. When running a virtual machine, the virtual machine menu is displayed in the max menu bar and it contains a keyboard option. And if you click this, it displays a list of key combinations and clicking one of those sends the selected combination to the virtual machine. This list can be customized. My suggestion is whatever customizations you make, always make sure that alt control delete is listed. I use that a lot. You can also map keyboard shortcuts. I've talked about Zoom It many times. It's a free app that lets you annotate your screen, but is only available for Windows. And I use it on my work Windows laptop. I find it invaluable when delivering training. Now to enable the annotations on Windows, you use Control and 2. So what I did is I created a custom keyboard shortcut mapping which was command option and two, and I mapped that to control and two. So now I'm a happy bunny. I can use zoom it on my virtual machine. So as you can see, there's a lot that you can do with parallels, not just with parallels itself, but configured the right way. It can really improve your experience when running Windows. This is why we're waiting for the Mac, isn't it? Because if you had 256, you could allocate 128 comfortably. Mm, that would zip along. Or even have multiple VMs open and each only have the RAM they've got now. You could have three open with 32 and another at 32, couldn't you? I could. That would be good. He's talking himself into this now. Yes. <laughs> Just saying. Uh, anyway, the next piece that I'm looking at, it's an app review and it's because of you, Mike. Me? Yes, we're not short of task management apps, nor calendar apps, all replete with reminders and notifications. So do we need another one? Probably not. But one that actually worked in terms of ensuring that we get done what we're intending or at least hoping to get done would be good. So what's wrong with what we've got? Transient notifications is a big issue for me. When I get any at all, that's a whole other story. My calendar has expired and doesn't bother reminding me of anything anymore. I have tried everything to fix it on the Mac. You know what I think the best answer would be, Mike? Go on. Get a new Mac. Problem solved. Yes, my, my, my reminders aren't working, so I need a new Mac. And I know that these transient reminders was one of your biggest issues with OmniFocus. Yeah, back in the day, I tried OmniFocus because one, it was all the rage and two, you told me to. My problem is that I have to remember to look at it and I'm not disciplined enough to do that. It doesn't matter whether my to-do list is digital or on the back of a cigarette packet, as we say in the UK. Getting into the habit of looking at it is the answer. And I don't, simple as that. I recall saying it was up to you to be proactive and constantly refer to your task manager. So to use it as a guide to your day rather than relying on notifications. But obviously that's just a utopian ideal. <laughs> I must admit, even I have retired OmniFocus for a while. 
and I've moved my tasks into Notion. Now, Notion doesn't really have a concept of notifications full stop, to be honest. You can put a date and time on any item in Notion and you will see maybe like a one pop up on your notifications. But again, you've actually got to go look for them. They don't exactly they're not exactly insistent, shall we say. You, you could just think, yeah, whatever, and ignore it. Um, Notion in terms of being a to-do app is very much a build-your-own Lego kit thing. But for the moment, it's working. If it wasn't, we wouldn't have produced how many shows was it? It was in the 200s, I think, um, since we went into lockdown. But the one feature that Notion does lack is a reliable notification system. If you think notifications for OmniFocus things and any other task management app are easily missed, you've not seen anything until you've seen Notion. It's a tiny blue message and it goes red when it's overdue. But if you're not looking at that screen, you're not going to see it. There is this kind of management centre that I mentioned, but it's not a task manager. It doesn't claim to be a task manager. Your next, uh, your calendar is probably your next port of call for being reminded about something. And there's loads of stuff I'd like to be reminded of, but I don't think it's appropriate to put on a calendar. So say things like taking vitamins. A task manager, again, not really. Calendar, not really. Reminders app, possibly, but I hadn't used that. Uh, in fact, I don't think I'd ever used it. Too ropey since its inception. Well, when I started to look at it, I think from memory, my biggest issue was that I needed an iCloud email account. Now, let's not go there. Hey, Apple didn't bother trying it again. It was to do with we don't talk about Apple IDs, do we, Mike? Because then we get talking about merging no. and then we all start to cry. So, um, yeah, we won't do that. But anyway, this is where Jew comes in. D-U-E. It's a separate application. There is a version for macOS and iOS. The two do synchronize. And I know that for a fact because it supports both iCloud and Dropbox. But more on that later. Uh, there are two distinct types of notification that it supports. There are reminders, which are the standard things that we're talking about. And there's timers. So a countdown timer. But if we look at the reminders first, it has natural language input. So if you think about how fantastical I would say works, but for me, it's used to work. Uh, that went subscription and it was obscenely priced. So I retired it in favour of something else and the something else is working fine. But the natural language input that Fantastical had was amazing. And this works exactly the same way. You also have a range of default times that you can configure so maybe you want to check your mail in your break and you always have a break at a certain time. So it makes it very easy to set up four default times. You've also got a range of adjustment buttons so you can add or remove 10 minutes, an hour, three hours a day from what's specified at the top. It just makes it really easy to put stuff in. You can have repeating uh, reminders. I've actually set one of these up, Mike, and, and as of the point of recording, it's actually working. I've set it up for five to seven every day so I don't forget to turn up for Marooned because <laughs> the show wouldn't work well if we forgot, would it? No. So uh, the repeating feature works really well. But the power of the app, because at this point you might think nothing special there. But the power of the app is in the fact that you will get continued reminders until you actually confirm you've completed the task. 
And how it does that is you set a reminder interval. There is a default of five minutes. So if you imagine that you've set a reminder to do something and you want to be reminded at the top of the hour, I would set the reminder for 15 minutes before. And then if you leave the interval set to five minutes, you'll get a reminder at quarter to, ten to, five to and the top of the hour. So you'll get four reminders for that thing at the top of the hour. But you could also set it to one minute. You've got the five minute default, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 30 minutes or one hour. Or you, you can turn it off completely if you don't want multiple reminders for this thing. But that is where the power of it is as far as I'm concerned. So I have it set for five to seven, which means I'll get a reminder at five to four minutes to three minutes to one minute to and then at seven o'clock because I've set it to a minute. And the trick is when a reminder comes up, I don't know about you, but you think, oh, yes, I'll do that. And you, you tap done. And then between tapping done and actually doing, you forget and, you know, you get your sidetrack. Shiny happens, new iMac. Uh, and you forget that you've not done it and you won't get any more reminders because obviously you've said you've done it. So with this one, the reminder comes up and then it, it pings and then it fades away. Until you actually click done on it, you will constantly get reminders, which I think is actually quite genius for certain things. Very annoying for most things. But for certain things, that's genius. You also get uh, timers. Um, again, it's a beautifully simple interface. Same principle for reminding you. So when your time's up, you will get constant reminders until you confirm that you're done. The default sounds are pretty good, but there's a whole range of sounds for both the reminders and the timer. And I mentioned that it does synchronize. So um, it's it's not an app bundle yet that, uh, that the new app bundle thing. But there are versions for macOS and iOS. And as I say, it's two different cloud syncs. So if you want to use iCloud, you can. If you would rather use Dropbox, then you can use that. Now, the app itself has been around for a long time in version one. And people were saying it was a great app, but it was a bit dated. So there is a completely new version out with a big design change from version one. Looking at it now, it actually looks more like a Twitter client. It's got icons um, to access the features in a left hand sidebar. The typography is completely changed, which, to be honest, not necessarily a good thing. Not to my taste. I would love more options in terms of configuring how it actually looks. But in terms of functionality, it's absolutely brilliant. That could solve your problem, Mike. Now, then we need to come on to pricing, which is all a bit weird. I had the original version and it was either 99 pence or free because I hadn't really used that version. So it wasn't something that I went out and thought must buy this. So I, it was definitely on offer. The Mac version from version two onwards is 14.99, which isn't the cheapest app out there. The iOS version is 6.99. So I would say they are towards the higher end of most Mac and iOS applications of this ilk. I mean, it, because it's not a fully fledged OmniFocus at like, I think that's over £100 now. It's just a tiny reminder app. And at those prices, you might be surprised to learn that each platform has its own in-app purchase as well. Now, what's the in-app purchase for? Oh, don't go there. They're taking the agenda approach to an annual subscription 
by which you get all the features that are added to the application during your subscription period unlocked forever. So you could choose to take a subscription holiday and still retain all the features at the point that you stopped your subscription. So the difference between due and agenda is that agenda's free with an in-app purchase. So I think I did actually do the in-app purchase for agenda for one year. Um, agenda is kind of a note taking app, but it hooks in with your calendar. So it's very much date related. And I tried it for a year and I did do the in-app purchase. So when I install it today, I get my in-app purchases available up to the point I stopped subscribing. And anything that was new after that, I don't get. But I also don't lose anything that I had during my subscription. So that's that's not bad for a subscription application where, you know, like if you stop paying for Ulysses, you don't use Ulysses. You can just read what you've written, but you can't edit it. I think the issue here with due is that you've got this price and then an in-app purchase on top of that. That seems like they're trying to have their cake and eat it. With a purchase price for each platform and an in-app purchase for each platform. Now, the purchase price for the Mac is $14.99 and the in-app purchase for the Mac is $7.99 a year. The iOS version $6.99 and the in-app purchase is $3.99 a year. They call it the annual upgrade pass. But the thing is, there are some basics that just aren't available until you take the annual upgrade pass for at least a year. Uh, the main one of those being themes, because the default theme is a puce purple and it's not pretty. I went in and I was unaware of, of what was included in the annual upgrade pass. So I'm looking at the purple thinking, yeah, can we make that dark? And there is a black theme and there is a dark theme and they both look great, but they are only available in the annual upgrade pass. Once I'd purchased, I would be able to keep them, but I think it's naughty to have a purchase price and an in-app purchase. Unless the in-app purchase is some kind of storage or something like that, something where there's an ongoing cost to the developer. One or other, but not both. Do you know, buying apps is becoming a logistical nightmare because you've got to attempt to navigate the pricing labyrinth. I'm going to save talking about my other debacle this week with another enterprising app bandit attempting to hold me and my data hostage. But it'll give us something to look forward to next time, won't it? Next week, you mean? Steady on there, boy. Three in a row is already something of a record. I would actually give that a go, you know, but I'm not impressed with the double pricing. No, neither was I. Anyway, let's move along to MacBytes After Hours. 89, if we're going to be specific. We've got another live show on Friday night when it's part five of the Devon Think series. This time we're going to be looking at um, the mobile version, Devon Think to go. Mm, shall, shall I do a mic review and, and put the spoiler in? Go on. It, it could be better. <laughs> the mobile version could have more fidelity to the Mac version, but it's what we've got. So if you want to take your DevonThink data mobile, you need to come along and see what's available in DevonThink to go and how to get the thing synchronizing, because that's also another big bag of hurt. But it, it can be done. I've done it, so it can be done. You can also catch up on parts one, two, three and four on demand. I'll put all the links in the show notes. But on Friday, we're going live at 9 p.m. 
do join us. And as if weekly episodes of Mac Bites After Hours isn't enough, of course, we are still going live every day during lockdown. We are still in lockdown here. We didn't even get a review last week, did we? It'll be reviewed every week, they said. End of the first week, no review. So for the foreseeable, we're still in lockdown. Do you remember that little five part series we thought it'd be quite nice to remember going into lockdown? Yeah, we're now in week 22 and at almost 150 shows in. It'll be 150 shows in the next couple of days. So it's an audio show. It's available on MacBytes FM every day, 7pm UK time. We have an absolute blast chatting with you all. So do join us for the daily laughter in the midst of these very strange times. And that's not it for this week, is it? We have a little extra this week. I'm going live on Thursday with a session dedicated to Affinity Publisher. More specifically, creating a newsletter in Affinity Publisher. So it'll cover loads of features, master pages, page numbers, uh, breaking master pages, you name it, it'll, it'll be in there. Everything you need to make a newsletter will be in there. And being live, it's your chance to ask questions on the night. It's going to be straight after Marooned at MacBytes headquarters on Thursday. Then we're going live at 8pm. I'll put a link in the show notes. Do join us. Wouldn't be the same without you, would it, Mike? It certainly wouldn't. Well, that's it for this episode of Matt Bites. As always, we'd love to hear from you. So send us your questions, comments and queries by email to thecrew at macbytes.co.uk. Use the contact form on the website. And we also have a very active Slack chat room that's open 24-7. Simply go to macbytes.co.uk slash Slack and join the conversation. You can follow MacBytes on Twitter at twitter.com slash macbytes. And you can follow me personally on Twitter at twitter.com slash thomasmike. You can follow me at twitter.com slash Elaine Giles. And you can follow me at twitter.com slash macbytesiri. So until the next time, this has been Mike and Elaine bringing you macbytes. Goodbye. Goodbye and see you next time. What's that noise? A notification. Well, can't you stop it? I would if I could. There it goes again. I know. Tell me about it. Do you need a reboot? I've tried that. And? No joy. Where's it coming from? A new app she's found. A reminders thing you mean? Yes. You've been handling those for years. I know I have. Silently moving them out of sight to stop her being disturbed. Silently moving them out of sight to save yourself from having to do anything you mean? That as well. Looks like she's got you beaten this time. Having said that, I have a cunning plan. You do? Will it stop this ringing in my head? It could well do. Well don't hang around woman. Spittle right now. Simple really. I don't know if that works for him, but it certainly works for me.